Hello and welcome back to Koala Moon, a podcast of original children's bedtime stories and meditations designed to make bedtime a dream. I can't wait to get started with tonight's story. It's a triumph of creativity and inventiveness that combines a classic poem by Edward Lear, you and your parents may have heard of, with two real friends up for a nighttime adventure. But Coco's here flapping his big list full of new Coco Clubbers names, and I must get to that first. Listen up for your shout-out. It comes with our biggest thanks. So hi, and welcome to Brooke from Ireland, Georgia, Sebastian and Claudia, all from New Zealand, Oliver, Haley, and William from Adelaide, Australia. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for signing up and enjoy all your extra bonus episodes, the ad-free listening and just general wonderfulness. <laughs> so, as I was saying, this evening we're going to meet a cat named George whose owner teaches him a beautiful poem about an owl and a pussycat. It gives George some ideas and he and his owl friend Barnaby set out to find a pea-green boat, some honey and plenty of money tied up in a five-pound note. Before we begin, a quick message for the grown-ups. If you'd like to support our podcast, enjoy ad-free listening, unlock four bonus stories per month and much, much more, you can join Coco Club. Subscribe in just two taps via the link in the show notes. But now, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Before I get started, snuggle down into bed and get as comfy as possible. Close your eyes gently and relax your face, your eyebrows, your cheeks and your forehead, even the bridge of your nose and your tongue. Can you make everything feel really loose and floppy? And gently breathe in and out. Or relax now, breathing gently in and out. For it's time to rest your body and let your imagination roam free. This is The Owl and the Pussycat by Jane Thomas. Ollie and his brother Oscar live at the very top of a very tall, very grey building. Sometimes their home is so high in the sky that they live above the clouds, looking out onto a rolling world of white. But on days when it's clear, they can see for mile after mile, looking across at all the other very tall, very grey buildings. Oscar and his brother Ollie live on the edge of one of the largest cities in the world. If they look out of the windows on the right side of their home, all they see is a sea of grey and concrete. But if they look out of the windows on the left side of their home, they can see the smooth billows of green hills leading up to purple mountains that disappear into the sky. They count themselves as very lucky indeed because they are one of the few homes in this city that has such a wonderful, endless view. They share their home with their parents and, perhaps even more importantly, their large grey cat called George. George 
is something of a giant. A huge ball of a cat who likes to leap from Oscar's lap to Ollie's lap and back again, snuggling into their hugs and purring softly as their fingers ripple through his fur. When Oscar and Ollie go out to school, George spends his time curled up on the windowsill, looking out at the green world that stretches forever into the distance. From his great height, everything is made miniature, and he isn't quite sure how large the duck pond really might be, or whether the trees are as tall as him, or as tall as Oscar, or, goodness, even taller than that. And at night, George sometimes sleeps on the end of Oscar's bed, and sometimes sleeps on the end of Ollie's bed, and sometimes he returns to the windowsill to look out over the silent world. Everything is so much more peaceful at night. There are no cars sending the noise of their honking horns drifting up to him, and no ambulances with sirens, and no groups of schoolchildren shouting as they set off home. At night, after the streetlights have been dimmed, after everyone in every room in every building has gone to sleep, there is a stillness to the world. George loves the night time for the stillness and for the visits from his friend. Barnaby sometimes swoops by to see George, his long wings white against the black of the night. It's odd that a cat and an owl should be friends, but friends they are. George tells Barnaby everything Oscar and Ollie learned in school each day, and Barnaby tells George all about the world he has only ever seen but never visited. Thanks to Barnaby, George has become very good at imagining the feel of grass beneath his paws, the scent of flowers in the air, and the way droplets of water might hang, gleaming with rainbows from his fur. On this night, a particularly still and clear night, when a million stars light up the sky, and it seems as if the moon has had an extra polish, George is telling Barnaby all about a poem that Oscar learned in school. It's all about, he tells him, an owl and a cat. Barnaby pricks up his ears. This sounds much more interesting than the complicated sums George had tried to explain a few nights ago. To be honest, Barnaby hadn't been quite convinced that George really understood what he was talking about, but he was far too polite to mention this to his friend. But a poem was right up Barnaby Street. He loved the music of poetry, and one about an owl and a cat was definitely going to be one worth listening to. He settled onto his perch and listened as George recited the lines. The owl and the pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five-pound note. Barnaby sighed. It sounded wonderful. In his mind's eye, he pictured George sat at one end of a little sailing boat and him at the other. 
With a start, he realized he'd missed a few lines. They sailed away for a year and a day to the land where the bong tree grows. And there, in the wood, a piggywig stood with a ring at the end of his nose. Barnaby started wondering where they might find a bong tree, for he had certainly never seen a tree with such a name, and he'd never met a pig with a nose ring. But if humans could have them, why not pigs? George hadn't slowed down for Barnaby's wandering mind, and so he listened in again and heard the final lines. They dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. And hand in hand, on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon, the moon, the moon. They danced by the light of the moon. George sighed as he finished the poem and looked across at his friend. Doesn't it sound wonderful, he said. Barnaby nodded. We could make it happen, you know, he said thoughtfully. Perhaps not for a year and a day. I think Oscar and Ollie would be terribly upset if you disappeared for that long. But yes, I know where we could find just such a boat. George looked across at his friend. His paws kneaded the concrete beneath, and he imagined trailing them over the side of a boat and feeling the sea. He thought about seeing rings in pigs' noses and finding out what a bong tree looked like, and stared at his paws to try and work out how they might hold whatever a runcible spoon might be. Do you think we can be back by dawn? he said at last. The night was as beautiful a night as he had ever seen. It seemed to be filled with magic and was surely the finest night he would ever know to have an expedition in a pea-green boat. Promise, said Barnaby, sweeping his wing across his heart. If you had known to look across at that building on that very night, you might have seen the white sweep of a barn owl drifting slowly down the side, and behind him, walking first this way and then that as he slowly descended the hundreds of steps that made up the wrought iron fire escape, you would have seen a large grey cat. The cat may be something of a giant, and he may have always known that he could leave at any time by taking this route. But he wasn't a particularly courageous animal and had never left home before. The cat paused every now and then, and the owl would hover in midair, seeming to talk with the cat and coax him onwards. And then the cat would continue, paws being placed very carefully and specifically on each and every step. For that is how George and Barnaby descended to the street, and where George felt, for the first time, the grass beneath his paws. It was a tickling softness, firm 
and giving all at the same time. And the smell was like nothing George had ever known. Barnaby waited patiently while George rolled first this way, then that, arching his back into the grass and stretching his tail into the depths of the green. They went slowly through the park towards the boating lake, where a series of colourful wooden boats lay bobbing gently in the moonlight. Barnaby chose a pea-green boat and, using his beak and a few stiff pulls, managed to untie the knot. George put a tentative paw into the boat, leaping back onto the dock as it wibbled and wobbled under his weight. It's perfectly safe, reassured Barnaby, standing in the boat and leaning to the left and to the right, showing how it rocked gently back and forth, back and forth, without ever turning over. George took a single bold leap and jumped into the bows of the boat, burying himself against the boards until the movement had quite stopped. Barnaby showed him which ropes to pull to raise the sail, and together they watched as the huge white sheet gently ballooned in the soft breeze, filling with just enough wind to ease them slowly, so slowly, out across the lake. George looked at the ripples that formed behind them and how the reflections of the stars moved and danced as they caught on the little waves. The pea-green boat splashed softly through the water, a white line etched around it as it cut through the black. As George became used to the feeling and dared to loosen his grip a little on the ropes, he pointed towards the bag he had hauled down the steps. Barnaby peered inside, smiling to himself as he saw a jar of honey wrapped up in a crisp, Clean, five-pound note. The guitar, Barnaby, the guitar, said George. And the owl reached in and pulled out the ukulele that Barnaby had borrowed from the corner of Oscar's bedroom. That's the one? You're supposed to sing to me. It says so in the poem. Barnaby had been daydreaming for that part and he wasn't quite sure what to sing. So he made up something about a cat and a fiddle and a cow jumping over the moon. And George seemed to like that, so he made up another about how the stars twinkled like diamonds in the sky. George leaned back against the side of the boat and closed his eyes, feeling the breeze dancing through his fur as the little boat sailed gently across the lake. Barnaby's singing and playing was the perfect touch, he thought, and he felt a little shiver of magic race all the way from his whiskers to the very tip of his tail. They stopped abruptly when they came to the shore, 
the boat having just enough momentum to ease its way onto the beach. George leapt out and felt, for the very first time, the sand beneath his paws. It spilled around and moved strangely, underneath and on his paws and in his claws all at the same time. Made a brilliant white by the light of the moon, the sand sparkled and shone and shifted and sifted. George buried his nose into it to see what it smelled like and came up immediately with a huge snort and a sneeze. Barnaby pretended not to notice, busying himself with tying the rope for the boat around a tree. Is that a bong tree? asked George. And Barnaby said he supposed it might very well be exactly that even though he knew perfectly well it was really a glorious weeping willow that was trailing its branches into the edge of the lake. George went and sniffed the tree, breathing in such a beautiful scent of damp, fresh greenness that even the grass, so wonderful only an hour before, seemed dull in comparison. The world was full in a way he had never known. The pair set out through a meadow, heading towards a farm that stood on a hill. Barnaby skimmed over the long grasses, wings outstretched, and George rushed this way and that, pulled in every direction by new scents and smells, with flowers almost calling out to be breathed in. He found stars that had fallen to the ground and formed delicate white petals. And Barnaby told him this one was called jasmine. A complicated-looking flower with twisted petals and yellow tongues and dabbles of pink was honeysuckle. And some tiny purple flowers that stayed close to the ground and grouped together was, Barnaby told George, something called night-scented stock. And George thought this really rather wonderful that Mother Nature had thought to put together some flowers that smelled especially beautiful during the night. It felt for a moment as if everything had been placed there specially for him to find, to show him how much magic there is if we only go even a little way from our front door. And it was a meandering, wandering, slow sort of walk that finally led them to the edge of the farm. Barnaby guided him across to where the pigs lay snuffling in their sleep, and George walked along to where the largest one lay on his side, a huge brass ring glistening in his nose. It's just as the poem said, whispered George to Barnaby, and was on the point of waking the pig when the owl held up a wing to stop him. Why do we need to wake him? asked Barnaby. He looks so peaceful. And George felt a little silly as he thought back to the poem and remembered 
that in it, the owl and the pussycat used the ring from a pig's nose to be married by the turkey who lived on the hill. Much as he was very fond of Barnaby, and they would, he hoped, remain best friends for many years to come, he wasn't sure that marriage was on the cards, and perhaps it was best if they skipped that part of the poem. Oh, I just wanted to ask him something, said George, hurrying to add, but no, you're right, it really doesn't matter. Let's leave him sleeping. He does look so very happy, curled up there in the hay. George was very glad of his grey fur, hiding his blushes as they walked back down the hill and headed once more towards the beach. I'm afraid I don't quite know what a runcible spoon is, he said sadly as he unpacked the rest of the things from the bag. Will this do? he asked Barnaby, holding up a teaspoon. I think it's perfect, reassured the owl, pulling the corners of a tartan tea towel that was serving them well as a picnic rug. They dined on mints and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon, recited George. And hand in hand, on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the... Barnaby, we must dance. George jumped up and pulled Barnaby towards him, and poor holding wing they danced slowly along the shore. A nightingale landed in the weeping willow and poured its beautiful song into the night, and a frog jumped onto a lily pad and softly added his glorious deep voice to the tune. George had spent many evenings talking with Barnaby and laughing with Barnaby, sharing ideas and thoughts and hope and dreams, but he had never for a moment imagined that he might one day dance with him by the light of the moon. The big grey cat smiled to himself as he placed his paws carefully on the sand, soaking up every moment and sensation so that he might remember them forever. And as the sky slowly turned from black to the deepest blue and the stars disappeared one by one, George and Barnaby climbed back into the pea-green boat. Once more, George hoisted the sail and once more they moved gently through the water, gliding silently towards the other side of the lake and sending ripples rolling back towards the shore. By the time they reached the side, George's eyes were beginning to close. He had spent many nights awake for hours, looking up at the moon and stars, but he had never been awake for so long and seen and felt so many new things all at once. It was a very tired George who pulled the boat back into the little dock, 
and a very tired George who set out across the grass, damp with dew. He knew he needed to be home before Oscar and Ollie were awake, but he allowed himself to find one more patch of jasmine and breathe in deeply the glorious scent. Barnaby followed as George went up the fire escape, the great grey cat's legs feeling heavier with each and every step. He was so tired now, so very, very tired. Each step felt like a thousand, and he longed to be safely curled up at the end of Ollie's bed, safe against the softness of the blankets. A few more steps, and he would be there. Just one last step. And there he was back home, and Barnaby was waving goodbye as he disappeared to head towards his cosy nest, buried, warm and safe, in a hole in a horse chestnut tree. George replaced the things he'd taken, one by one, with the ukulele returned to the corner of Oscar's room, and the honey, or what was left of it, back on the shelf in the kitchen and the plates he'd used for the quince and the mints, placed along with the pile of dishes that stood waiting to be washed. And finally, he padded his way across the soft carpet and jumped onto the end of Ollie's bed, turning himself around and around to make the blankets wrap gently around his body. And... Whereas before he had always fallen asleep with dreams of possibilities floating through his mind, this time he had his very own memories of dancing with Barnaby by the light of the moon. And that is how he fell asleep, his soft grey fur rising and falling as he breathed in and out, and dreamed those magical dreams of moments that were, and moments that might be, and moments that are only made possible when we let ourselves believe in the infinite wonder of the world.